So Richard Pratt uh, was one of my favorite professors in seminary. Uh, he taught me three classes, and he taught hermeneutics, uh, which is an, a long word for how to interpret the Bible and apply it in your life. Um, but yeah, in this class, he would often say that as pastors and as preachers, you need to recognize that for yourself and for the people that you're preaching to, that he would say the deck of life is always shifting. That a pastor who knows his congregation won't, won't just woodenly take the Bible and interpret it and apply it, but he will do a good job of trying to recognize the stages of life his congregation is in and that the deck of life is always shifting for them. So in a nutshell, Ecclesiastes 3 teaches us that the deck of life is always shifting. That's the big meaning. And the task of the Christian is to seek to take the gospel of God's grace in every season of life that we find ourselves in as the deck of life is shifting and to land it on the deck of our lives. After I graduated from seminary, my dad gave me an incredible gift. So pretty much right after I graduated, uh, my dad and I flew uh, to Greece and we went on a cruise of the Eastern Mediterranean. Uh, we, went, we started in Athens and went to Corinth and did some of the biblical things in Greece. And then we got on a ship and we went to Israel, Egypt, Cyprus, Turkey, and then we went to Mykonos and Santorini, the Greek Isles. Now, just as an aside, you don't want to go to Mykonos and Santorini with your dad, okay? So those are some really beautiful places. If you get a chance to go to those islands, go with someone uh, else, hopefully a spouse um, would be great. But anyway, I was with my dad there, and it was a great time. We had a great time. But when you're on the Mediterranean Sea, as you can find out from the Bible in Acts 27, where Paul encounters this shipwreck on the Mediterranean Sea, there can be some storms that, that come up on the Mediterranean. And I would say we just went through a moderate storm, and we were on a cruise ship. It wasn't one of these giant you know, Caribbean cruise liners. It was a, a modest cruise ship. But still, one night as we went through the storm, as the deck was shifting, my feet were going above my head and back below as I tried to sleep that night. And I'll never forget that night. I didn't sleep well. Uh, but that's a metaphor of our lives. Uh, life is like you're on a ship and you're in a storm and your feet are often going above your head and you're wondering how in the world do I live in this time that God has me in. The deck of life is always shifting and we need to take the gospel of God's grace in every season of life and land it in our lives. So what that means is that what you learn in high school about the Lord, as, as important as that is, as important, what you're learning in high school, if you're here, is so important and it's true and it's unchanging. But then once you get to be in your 20s or your 30s, you need to be learning fresh applications of the gospel of grace in your life. You don't need to be living on experiences you had when you're 16, 17, and 18 with the Lord. You need to be landing the gospel in your life. And then as you age a little bit beyond that, if you're my age and you have, you have kids who are 11 to 19, I mean, I need fresh applications of the, of the gospel. And as we get older and as we, we age, as we retire, and as we near the end of our days on earth, we need to always be living in light of God's truths and learning new things about the Lord. So today's message is about time. 
It's about time in the broad sense. It's not about time in the narrow sense. Time in the narrow sense is time management, how to get the most out of your hour or your day. How quickly can I check my email and get off of there? How can I spend less time on my phone or whatever? We're talking about time, not in the narrow sense, but in the broad sense, the span of time, time as all of life, the seasons of life that change. Rather than a specific point in time, we're seeking to apply the gospel and think about it over the course of our lifetime. So first today, we'll learn from Solomon how to embrace the reality that everything happens in its time. Everything happens in its season. Then we'll consider the fact that everything listed in verses 2 through 8, the ups and downs of life, generally speaking, happen to us all. Maybe not every single thing, but generally speaking, though we have seasons of life, we also need to recognize that all of us experience generally all of these things at different points in time. And then finally, we'll see how sometimes everything in life happens to us all at once, that the seasons blend together and they crash down on us at the same time, and how even then, even in that moment, like Paul says there in Philippians, that he, he learned how to be content and how to live in light of the gospel when everything is happening all at once. So first of all, Let's talk about how everything happens in its time. <clears throat> so the first and most broad message of Solomon in this passage is not just that everything happens in its time randomly, but that God, you serve a God and you know a God and, and there's a God who loves you that is sovereign and he is exercising his sovereign care and providence over you in every season of life that you go through. The basis of Solomon's understanding is anchored in the biblical teaching that God is sovereign, that he has created us, he's created you and me as human beings, that he loves you and cares for you, and that in the midst of your life, because he created you and he knows you and cares for you, that there is a reason why, and there is a way to know God in the midst of every season of life that you are going through. Some people buck against, they, they push back against this doctrine of God's sovereignty. But if we think about it for just a minute, what we can learn from that is that you're not random. You're not alone. You're not meant to be immortal or omniscient, that you are cared for deeply by the Lord. You are cared for deeply by him, and that means everything in your life, and you, as a matter of fact, matter to God. God is not like the great watchmaker, like the deists would say, where God created the world and world and wound it up like a clock on its axis and everything is spinning. And what God is doing now is he's sitting back in a recliner with a beer and a bag of chips, just kind of waiting to see what happens. That God created the world and now he's distant and removed from the world. No, that is not biblical teaching. Biblical teaching is not deism. It's that God created the world he loves you. He is active in your life. And so in every season of your life, no matter what you're going through in life, it's not random and you're not alone. It's not pointless. It's not nihilism. It's God at work. God is at work in you even when we can't see it. And so God in his sovereignty has appointed that our lives would be ordered by seasons. 
Now, I, I apologize in advance if for the rest of this week you have the song by the birds in the back of your mind to everything, turn, 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 there is a season, turn, turn, turn. This week, I, that song was in my head all week long. Uh, and it was a little bit annoying. I, I don't really love that song, it's okay. But that is where, that's where this song is based and you may be finding that playing in your head. But anyway, verse two, most, fundamental, most mon- fundamentally, we can see God's sovereign care over us in birth and in death. There's a time to be born and a time to die. God has appointed that life would be this way, that everyone who is born will be born and everyone who is born will die at some point in time unless the Lord tarries again. And this is part of God's sovereignty over our lives. We know from Psalm 139 that God knit each of us together in our mother's womb, that he was active in that moment of birth. We know from Psalm 29.9, I remember reading this verse a few years ago and it just blew me away. It says that God makes the deer give birth. That for, even for animals, for every animal that's born in this world, that birth happens because God willed it to be so. That God is even active and present in that. We also know from Psalm 139 that our days are numbered by the Lord. There David goes on to write, your eyes saw my unformed substance, talking about the womb, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. That God, when he creates you in the womb of your mother, he knows your days, he knows your days are numbered, he knows your life. And then in the middle of these two great bookends of our lives, birth and death, we find all of these other seasonal changes that we go through that all happen under the care of God. Now, I'm going to look at a lot of these contrasts. I'm not going to look at every single one of them. There's just a lot of them. So uh, I'm picking and choosing. But going down to verse 3, a time to kill and a time to heal. So we need soldiers, judges, hunters, fishermen, We also need doctors, nurses, counselors, pastors, and missionaries to handle the killing and the healing that goes on in this world. Verse 3, a time to break down and a time to build up. Michael, my father-in-law, is a great craftsman builder. He built a beautiful treehouse, a really fun treehouse for my kids in the backyard. They've had so much fun up there. And it was a time to build. Now it's time to break that down. Uh, that that treehouse is rotting, and my kids can't go up there anymore. They don't. They're not as interested in it as they used to be. That doesn't mean that the treehouse wasn't valuable. It was great in its time. Now it's not great anymore, and that's okay. To be a little more serious, there's a time for building and a time time for breaking down within churches. Every church pretty much that's ever existed will be built up and it will be broken down at some time. Every community group will flourish for a season and it will not flourish for a season. Every ministry team that is meaningful for a little while may not be meaningful forever and we need to recognize that. We don't need to hang on to things forever as if God himself and his faithfulness is wrapped up in this thing being the same forever and ever. That's not the way it works. In fact, A lack of wisdom shows that when we want to hang on to things for longer than they should exist, sometimes we get out of sorts and we're not trusting in God's sovereignty. 
we have to sometimes break down what's been built up. Verse 4, a time to weep and a time to laugh. You know, most of us just want to laugh. We want to avoid weeping. Laughter is popular in our culture, and weeping not maybe as popular. I grew up in a home where to have negative emotions, it was a Pentecostal home, maybe you can relate to me, negative emotions were not really welcome. They show that you're really not, not trusting God or you're not, you don't have faith or something like that. And so to weep or have negative emotions was unwelcome. Well, Solomon would say that that's totally unbiblical. It's totally unbiblical. There's a time to weep. If you lose a loved one, it's a time to grieve. It's a time to weep. If a friendship breaks down that you love, it's a time to grieve. It's a time to experience loss. Jesus himself wept, as I said in my last sermon, when he saw Mary and Martha before he raised Lazarus from the dead. He grieves with those who grieves, and he weeps with those who weep. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. There is a time to weep, and there's also a time to laugh. Verse 4 says, goes on to say, it's a time to mourn and a time to dance. In some of the churches I've been in, you really shouldn't do either of these. Mourning isn't welcome and dancing isn't welcome either. If you're mourning, you're not having faith. If you're dancing, well then maybe the devil's got a hold on you. But the Bible would say neither of those things are true. Neither of those things are true. There's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. Now for me, that's a bit convicting. I don't really enjoy dancing. Uh, even though I grew up in a Pentecostal church where people were dancing, maybe that's why I don't like to dance because it made me feel uncomfortable growing up. But anyway, I don't dance very well. But if you're at a wedding and there's something to celebrate, you should dance. You should dance away. In fact, you know, people, commentators believe that Mary in Luke 1, when she sang the Magnificat, uh, which many operatic performances have been done uh, from that, that she wasn't singing that song in, in opera. Uh, she, it was, there was no Gregorian chant going on. First of all, because those didn't exist at the time of Mary. Mary, in the ancient Near Eastern way, she was overjoyed that the Lord had given her Jesus, and she probably was dancing as she sang the Magnificat. If you're excited about something, you should dance. There's a time, verse 5 goes on to say, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Maybe you're dating and you're really endeavoring to be sexually pure and you don't want to embrace uh, like you, part of you wants to do that. Or maybe you have COVID. Maybe this is a prediction of COVID. Um, I don't know. Or maybe you're normally close with someone relationally, but that relationship is broken down. So to, to give them a hug or embrace them would feel disingenuous. There's a time for embracing and a time not to embrace. There's a time to seek and a time to lose. This could be about your favorite sunglasses or your wallet or something else that is meaningful to you. Or it could be also going back to the church. It could be a relationship. There's a time when things are not going well between you and someone else. There's a time to seek them out. There's a time to work hard at restoring that relationship. But then there's also a time to let that person go and to move on and recognize that even this is under the sovereignty of God. Verse 7, there's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. 
Now, for me, especially the adolescent version of me, I really needed to read this verse. I like talking still, but when I was growing up, I really loved to hear myself express my own thoughts. I thought that everything I said was very wise and meaningful, and, and even when other people were talking to me, I was spending that time getting ready for my own response to what they were saying while I wasn't listening to them. That's not helpful. And so if you're someone who speaks a lot and likes to talk, maybe you should not. Maybe you should listen more. But maybe it's on the other side for you. Maybe you're someone who just generally keeps silent and we can't read your mind, but you have a lot of good things going on in there and we would love to hear those thoughts from you. Maybe for you, you should be a little more bold and let us know what's going on in your head. And the final one I'll draw out is verse 8, a time for war and a time for peace. Now, we can see the truth of this in world history. We can see how there are wars happening and there's peace happening all at the same time. But going back to seasons in the life of the church, there are going to be periods of time in God's church where there is conflict, where there is great change, and where it's hard. And yet there should also be times where there is peace and there is tranquility and there is rest. The wise person will not always insist that things must always be peaceful, that there must always be rest, and there must always be tranquility. It's just not real. On the other hand, the wise person will not always insist that life is war and relationships are war, and me getting a rise out of you and being combative relationally is really not also the right way to live. And so there's a time for peace and there's a time for war. And while it may not be the case that every single person in this world experiences every single one of these contrasts listed for us in verses two through eight, generally speaking, the second point here today is all of these, these things happen to everyone. Everything happens to everyone. If you look at verse 11 in chapter 3, he says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also put eternity into the heart of every man or woman, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. This is so important that we need to find the beauty of what God is doing in every life stage that we are in. And this is wisdom, that God loves us and he is active in your life in every stage of life that you are in. As everything happens to everyone, everything is beautiful in its time. And yet, even though we should live in line with the seasons that we're in, the Bible tells us that God has given us a heart that longs for eternity, we long to not be confined to the bodies that we're in, to the season of life that we're in. We have hardwired into our hearts that we would not always be this way forever, that we would one day be immortal, that we would be, we'd be able to put on eternality. And as we go on from Solomon to Jesus, only in Jesus do we find the wisdom and the grace and the truth of God that it's through his life and death and resurrection for us that we can have what people have been chasing for and are still chasing for for millennia, eternal life. 
The only way to have eternal life is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's only through knowing him that we can eventually escape this physical world and, and be conf- the confinement that we experience in the stages of life that we're in, and we can have what is eternal. And we need to recognize that we have eternal life now, but we are living in a world right now where we are not in an eternal, in an eternal situation. One day on the other side, Phil's mother, Phil Kuhn's mother passed away. I was talking with Phil. As soon as she passed away, she immediately was in the presence of the Lord. She put on immortality. She put on eternity. And she was free of her pain and suffering. We long for that. But in this world, in this life, wisdom is found not in trying to escape the stages of life that we're in, not in trying to live as if we're eternal now, but to live under the care of God in the seasons and in the stages that we are in. If we're living wisely, we won't push against God's will, but we'll learn to flourish under God's care in every season. For example, you can see how this goes the wrong way. Recently, I met a brother. He's not in our church. Um, He's about 30 years old, and this guy reminds me of myself a little bit when I was 30, but this guy thinks he knows everything. And it's just nauseating. You're having a conversation with him, and he's so not open to hearing other thoughts. He's got it all figured out. He would rather you just let him do whatever. He really doesn't want your feedback. And yet you want to be like, dude, you're 30. There's so much left of li- to learn in life. I've met 13-year-olds this way too. Uh, but when you're 30, you need to put on a little bit of humility and recognize the season of life that you're in is still one of learning. Or how about a middle-aged mom who's getting a little older and she's still living like she's 17. She's still trying to go out with her girlfriends and, and live, you know, basically like life in college. She needs to recognize she's like 47, not 17. And, and she, yeah, you can trade in the minivan for a Mercedes or whatever, but like you need to embrace the season of life that you're in. She's not eating at Carabas, which she can afford. She's spending money going to the Caribbean with her buddies, and she needs to rein it in and live according to where God has her right now. This can be very painful for other people if you are unwilling to embrace the life stage that you're in. It can be very painful for your friends and your family if you're unwilling to live according to the wisdom of God in the life stage that you're in. Think of the 25-year-old who still acts like he's in middle school. It's painful for everyone. Think of how hurtful it is for the daughter to have a mother who doesn't really want to be a mother. And so she acts like she's really not, the daughter's really not that important. Think of how painful it is for the 50-year-old sons in the family who have been working in the family business since college, but the father, even though he's well past retirement age, won't hand over the keys to the family business. It takes wisdom to live in the season of life that you're in, and eventually all of these stages happen to all of us, and the deck of life is shifting, and we need to walk with the Lord and land the gospel of grace that in this season of life, one of the hardest seasons of life, I think, at least that Olivia and I have been through so far, is that stage of life many of you are in with small children. And I, it's a, 
It's a beautiful stage. I, I look back, we have tons of awesome memories from that stage. But it is pure exhaustion so much of the time. It's hard. You're not sleeping. Kids are sick. You know, you're also at the peak of your career, at least in terms of the workload people want to get out of you. It's so hard. And yet, learning in that moment in life that God is for you, that you can land the gospel, you can embrace the grace of God for you in that season of life, that God has you there and God is good, is so important for us. So what stage of life has God placed you in? Are you content to be there? Do you recognize that God cares for you in this season of life that you are in? What would it look like for you, for your own maturity in grace, and for the good of everyone else around you, for you to act your age for you to be where you are, for you to embrace the, thing, the, the constraints of your time in life and realize that those boundary lines, as Psalm 16 says, have fallen for you in pleasant places, that those encumbrances that just annoy you and you wish they weren't there, they're there for your good, and they're there for the good of other people, and God has designed you and the world to be this way, and the wise one in the gospel will learn that God is good wherever he or she finds herself or himself. And the final aspect of this is where it gets a little bit crazy, but I think it's real, is that not only is there a season for everything, and not only does everything happen to everyone, but oftentimes everything happens all at once. So even though it's important, and I think it's true, that we can pull these contrasts apart, and even though it's true that we live life in seasons, sometimes everything happens all at once. Maybe you've had a week like I did, it's about six weeks ago or so now maybe, where I learned that on the same day in the same hour, as I walked out of, of taking care of someone whose father was dying of cancer in a hospice unit, I checked my phone, and I hear that my pastor growing up, one of my pastors, Harry Reeder, died. And then as I was driving to my next appointment, I found out that Tim Keller was in hospice and he was going to die imminently. And that same day, I found out that one of my close friends who I thought I knew and knew a lot about what was going on in their life, that I found out that his marriage was falling apart, in fact, and that he was probably going to be heading toward divorce and that same week, and that same day, I think, maybe within a couple of days, there were moments filled with joy. We, were, we have kids graduating. We have three that are moving up right now. We, have, we threw these graduation parties for Jordan. You know, so proud of him and so fun to be with everyone around us. We, Olivia and I had just returned from our trip that I mentioned where we went to Europe together for 12 days and had the most amazing trip of our lives. And there were some great things happening in the church and in, in ministry, and I was really encouraged. And everything happens all at once. And the larger your social network is, if you're in a church family or you're in a large family or you're just really connected digitally, the more true this is of us than ever is that, you know, you can be at a wedding and find out that someone has just passed away. 
You you can be getting on Instagram to check out how your kid is doing in college, and even though they're doing fine, you get on someone else's story, and actually their kid's life is falling apart in college. And everything is happening all the time, all at once. And so how do we learn the wisdom of the gospel in the midst of this? How do, we learn the midst of the, how do we learn the gospel as the deck of life is shifting, where on one side we have death, things being plucked up, things breaking down, weeping, mourning, losing, casting away, tearing, hatred, and war. And on the other we have birth, planting, healing, building up, laughing, dancing, embracing, love, and peace. How do we, how do, we do it when life is full and everything is happening all at once? It seems like all of the time when everything gets mashed up together, how can we find contentment in moments like this? Well, I think Paul gives us a window into his worldview in Philippians 4, 12, and 13 when he said, I know how to be brought low. I know how to, be, how to abound. And in every, in any circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That wherever you find yourself, on the high or the low, things are being torn apart or put back together, that Paul says he's learned the secret of contentment, the secret of living under the sovereign care of God, under a God who loves him, and not just has loved him, but has redeemed him from all of his sin and all of his brokenness, and who is alive and present with Paul. Paul says, I have learned that I can trust God even in the midst of all of these seasons of life. Now, Paul wrote this towards the end of his journey, and a lot of us are just not there yet. We're not at a place where we can really say, I have learned the secret of being content in everything. But we can say, I want to learn that. I want to learn what Paul was talking about. I want to learn how to be content in my circumstances, how to see the sovereign care of God and what's going on in my life, when the highs and the lows are crashing together, how to trust in the goodness of God. The key for us is to seek to be spiritually, emotionally, and relationally present wherever we find ourselves, believing that in the midst of our real lives, God is good. Let me say that again. We need to seek to be spiritually, emotionally, and relationally present in our real lives, believing that God is good and he is present with us. I once saw a family picture. Thank God it wasn't ours. It could probably have been at one point in time. But I saw a family picture, and it was kind of a joke. But they were at the dinner table, food sitting there, and every single family member, it's a family of six, every single family member has a device out, and they're looking at it, As they eat their food, they're not talking to each other. Maybe they were texting each other, I don't know. But that's so often how we can live our life. We want to be anywhere but here. In fact, we would rather be elsewhere, wherever wherever else is. We're going to be there. We can be so connected to people in Scotland or China and not be connected to people here. And God says you need to be where you are because I've put you there because it matters to me it matters to god so what does god where does god have you and what difference does the gospel make where you are 
What would it look like to be spiritually, emotionally, and relationally present and to apply the gospel of grace in your season of life? You know, this is kind of a random way to end a sermon, um, but Ecclesiastes is kind of random, so I figured why not. Um, as I was reading recently through the Old Testament, in 1 Chronicles 12.32, it says this, the men of Issachar knew their times and taught Israel what to do. The men of Issachar knew their times. Would someone say of you that you, this person, insert your name in the blank, they are someone who knows their times. And I have something I can learn from them about what to do by God's grace, how they've experienced the gospel in that season of life. Do you know your time? I don't mean it cosmically. I don't mean your point in time in world history and the unfolding of redemption. I mean your life stage. Do you know your time? Do you know the realities that you face? Are you willing to embrace those realities believing it's not random and you're not alone but that God is sovereign and he loves you and cares for you? The deck of life is always shifting. Sometimes we feel like our feet are above our head and that everything is happening all at once because sometimes it is. But the reality is that God has you there and that you can experience him in the midst of your life if you will trust in him. Let's pray. Lord, I know this is a message that is for all of us because literally that's what this passage is about. And yet I also know, Lord, that we are so prone to wanting to be in college if we're in high school, to wanting to be done with college if we're in college, to wanting to be in our 30s if we're 20s and go, going on and on from there. We are so chronically unable, it seems sometimes, to just be able to be ourselves and to be where we are. The lives that we've been given, the church that we're in, the friends that we have, we chronically look for the grass that is greener and we have a hard time living present wherever we are. But God, I pray that you would change that about us and you would help us to learn the secret of contentment in all things, which is knowing we have a God of grace who loves us and cares for us, who is for us and not against us. He has not spared his own son. How will he not along with Christ also graciously give us all things, even in the moment that we are living in right now? So God, would you give us the grace to accept where we are and believe that you're for us and that we would experience you there? I pray in Jesus' name, amen.